The Old Testament lesson appointed for this, the first Sunday of Lent, or in Lent, is from Genesis chapter 22. One of the reasons why this text was selected for this Sunday is that in this text we see that God orders Abraham to sacrifice his only son, well, his son from Sarah. You may recall that Abraham and Sarah had waited almost 100, well, they waited 80 years anyways, (laughs) for uh, this, this son to be born. And now God orders Abraham to take his son up onto the mountain and sacrifice him. And as they head up the mountain, we're going to hear how Isaac actually carries the wood and everything that's needed for the sacrifice. And he wonders, where's the lamb coming from? Where's, who, where's the sacrifice, sacrificial lamb coming from? And Abraham says, God will provide. And just as Abraham is about to kill his son, the angel of the Lord says, don't do it. Now the reason why it is, and then God provides a ram for the sacrifice. And the reason why this is put in here by the church for the church year is that this is in many ways a picture of what God the Father did for us with his own son. But whereas Abraham was spared killing his son, God the Father had his son die, and his son willingly died for us for our sins, bearing our sins all the way to the cross. So, Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went both of them together. And and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from the heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadows due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the gospel lesson, but specifically the two verses that relate to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We read, beginning at verse 12, The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and He was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to Him. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, Amen. We hear a lot about cancel culture today. Cancel culture is a modern form of ostracism. We might call it excommunication, in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, either online, on social media, in person, or both, because of some sin or sins that they have committed. With self-righteous indignation, the culture, the cancel culture crowd sully the reputation of the offender. If the offender is dead, like Washington, Jefferson, Jackson, or Lincoln, or someone else, they might even remove his statue, if they have a statue, or they might delete their name from a school building. With a sanctimonious flip of the switch or the delete button, they silence the offender by removing them from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, or even movie screens, or maybe all of the above. They attempt to bully the offender into oblivion through mob intimidation, boycotts, and disciplinary action by the offender's employer. 
And if the employer doesn't take action, then they'll gang up on the employer too. The cancel culture crowd will try to dig up dirt of a person's past as they attempt to destroy the offender's career, his business, and maybe even his family. All for justifiable reasons, of course, as they combat sexism and racism and bigotry and climate change deniers and any other perceived transgressions of their ideological moral codes. And it's all done with the hope that the offender will see his or her way and repent. Yes, it's all justifiable, they claim, because it's for the societal good. Recent victims of the self-appointed cancel culture mob include LifeSite News, which is a pro-life news and media outlet that had all of its videos removed from YouTube, meaning that every video is gone. Parler is another one that was canceled, an alt-tech microblogging and social networking service. It was canceled by Google and Apple and Amazon Web Services. And then you may recall a few months ago that Goya Foods became the target of this cancel mob because the CEO of the company dared to give a compliment to President Trump. Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby are on, under constant attack by the cancel culture crowd because, of their, because their ownership supports biblical values, beliefs, and practices. Chris Harrison, some of you will recognize his name, he's the host of The Bachelor. He's one of the most recent transgressors who's the object of the cancel crowd consternation and condemnation. Actress Gina Carano was canceled, actually she was fired, but really canceled from her role on a Disney production, The Mandalorian, and dropped by, the, by her actor's agency who was promoting her because she made controversial statements and tweeted socially offensive opinions. And then, of course, President Trump was canceled as well, denied access to most social media platforms. Now, I could go on and on with many more examples, but I won't. Instead, I'll make this observation. Cancel culture is not new. And more often than not, when we survey the landscape of history, we see that it's God's people who have often been the ones canceled. For example, Jezebel tried to cancel Elijah. Hananiah and his consortium of false prophets tried to cancel Jeremiah. If you read the book of Esther, you'll hear of how Haman plotted to cancel, that is to exterminate, the people of God. Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias had John the Baptist canceled by imprisoning him in the fortress palace of Mercurius and then having him beheaded because John refused to be silent on their scandalous marriage that was forbidden by Mosaic law. And now in this text that I just read to you a few moments ago, Satan attempts to cancel Jesus. At his baptism, our Father proudly proclaimed of Jesus, You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. And now, and now in the next two immediate verses, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord thrusts, drives Jesus out into the wilderness where the devil attempts to cancel Christ. Now, Mark doesn't go into detail about the temptations, but Matthew and Luke do in their Gospels, 
And we learn that each temptation is designed to undermine the relationship that Jesus has with his Father. And they're designed to derail the mission that the Father sent Jesus on to accomplish. For 40 days, Jesus is in the wilderness among the wild animals. Now, there's a couple points for us to note. First, Jesus is the second Adam. And what I mean by that is that in the book of Genesis, we're introduced to the first Adam, Adam and Eve, who lived in paradise. But the first Adam listened to the voice of that serpent Satan, and he disobeyed the Lord, bringing the curse of sin upon all of creation, bringing the curse of sin upon all of us, meaning that because of the sin that we've inherited from him, we will die from dust you came and to dust you shall return. But now Jesus, the second Adam, is thrust into the barren wilderness, and he is living amongst wild animals, and there he goes toe-to-toe with that devil. And unlike the first Adam, Jesus, though tempted, does not sin. Jesus obeys his Father. And here's the second point. There are several observations I can make about the 40 days, but I will limit myself to just one. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around following their exodus from Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because when tempted by Satan, they repeatedly disobeyed the Lord. In contrast, Jesus' 40 days of sojourn in the wilderness is characterized by faithful compliance to the Father's will. Now, these two points are important because, you see, Jesus came to fulfill the law of God perfectly on your behalf and on my behalf. In Galatians chapter 4, St. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that's you and me, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And being born under the law means that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet He did not sin. The writer to the Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore he had to be like his brothers. He had to be like you and me in every respect so that we might so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation, that is to make atonement for the sins of the people. What that all means is that Jesus passed the test. He passed the test that, Abraham, that Adam failed. He passed the test that Israel failed. And he passed the test that you and I fail because we're not capable or able to fulfill the law of God perfectly. Well, the devil's attempt at canceling Jesus in the wilderness flopped as Jesus countered Satan's canceling tactics by simply quoting Scripture. And that's also what John the Baptist did, too, when he was canceled. He just kept preaching the Word of God, no matter what the consequence. That's what Jeremiah and Elijah did, too. Again, no matter what the consequence, they just kept proclaiming the Word of God as he gave it to them. They stood on, they resisted with, and they fought back with God's Word. 
Well, Satan was discouraged, no doubt, by his failure to cancel Christ out in that wilderness. But it didn't stop him. For he knew that if Jesus completed his mission, then the devil's agenda was forever doomed. And so the devil simply changed his tactics. Satan unleashes the demonic world on Jesus with a series of surprise attacks and ambushes. You can read about it in the Gospels. He used the societal moral judges, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day, to attack Jesus' reputation. Oh, he's from Nazareth. Oh, he's uneducated. Oh, he eats with tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners. Oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Oh, he is a servant of Beelzebub. And if that wasn't bad enough, Satan even used Jesus' own family to attack him as they accused him of being crazy. His own inner circle of disciples undermined Jesus' work. Judas Iscariot stole from the, from the treasury and he schemed to have Jesus arrested. Peter vowed not to allow Jesus to suffer and die on a cross or die in any way. And, and Jesus saw who was behind it and that's why he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because he could see that Satan was behind these canceling ploys. Jesus was even challenged by his own inner struggles. Temptations didn't cease when he returned from the wilderness. No, Jesus experienced temptation throughout his earthly ministry. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, Jesus wrestled so violently with his inner emotions that he sweat blood and he pleaded with his Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And so Jesus continued to do what he was sent by his Father to do. He kept healing, he kept preaching, he kept teaching, he kept resisting temptation after temptation. He continued to fulfill the law of God perfectly on our behalf. And along the way, Jesus needed support. Mark tells us that the angels ministered to Jesus while he was in the wilderness. And this was all in fulfillment of Psalm 91, where the psalmist prophesied, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. When these tactics didn't necessarily work, then Satan tried another ploy to cancel Christ. He used plots, schemes, betrayals by trusted companions. He used trials, he used beatings, he used taunts, he used crucifixion. Yes, he used even execution. And Jesus' opponents, including the devil, thought that they had silenced and canceled Jesus once and for all for good on Good Friday. But did their plans ever backfire on them? You see, it was all part of God's plan to have His Son die on the cross of Calvary. Jesus willingly endured the shame and the agony of the cross and even being rejected by His Father for our sins. Not even death itself could cancel our Savior. I mean, He rose from the dead and Jesus' voice just got louder after His resurrection. I mean, His disciples were that much more convinced and committed to testifying of Him and going all over the place, even facing death itself to proclaim that Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead. And his message had swept all across the world and it continues to do so to this very day even despite all the attempts throughout history to silence, to cancel Jesus and his followers. Yes, Jesus, our Savior, canceled the debt of sin. 
He canceled the curse of sin. He canceled that bully that we know as Satan. And yes, he canceled death itself. St. Paul writes to the Colossian Christians, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, Jesus disarmed. He canceled the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so I ask, who really canceled who? Someone might be watching this message who thinks that they have successfully canceled God from their life. If so, my heart goes out to you, and I pity you. For you're missing out on living this life in God's amazing grace and love. You could be enjoying and experiencing the peace and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus as your Savior, and instead your life is really quite empty, despite all the stuff that you might have. And worse, you're going to miss out on living forever in the presence of the Lord. And oh, how tragic is that. Friends in Christ, those who believe in him, as Christ is your Savior, Satan can't cancel Christ. He just can't. But he will try to cancel us. Satan will try to mock us, bully us, intimidate us. He'll try to pressure us and manipulate us through our family and our friends to forsake Jesus. He will accuse us of our sin and hold it ever before our eyes that we're not worthy of God's forgiveness and certainly not worthy of everlasting life. He will try to intimidate us with sickness and death itself. He will discourage us day by day. He will use every weapon at his disposal to destroy our relationship with Jesus. But when this happens, and it happens, we stick to God's word. We build our lives on God's word, for it is the rock upon which we build our lives. God's word is the weapon that we use against Satan's canceling tactics. And just as Jesus needed support, so we need support. We need the support of our Lord, and He will give it to us through His Word. He will nourish us in our faith as we read His Word, as we remember our baptism, as we come to the Lord's table for, to receive the body and blood of Christ. But He also will support us through one another as we stick together, pray with one another, serve alongside one another, and together proclaim his word to a world that so desperately needs it. So the bottom line is this. Satan can't cancel our relationship with Jesus. For you see, Jesus has destroyed the work of the devil. And Jesus has given us his victory. Our sin can't cancel us. For Jesus has fulfilled the law for us, and by his death, our debt, a 
of sin has been paid. And death can't cancel us. For Jesus rose from the dead and he promises everlasting life. Indeed, Satan might try to cancel us, but he will fail as we rest in the strong arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.